welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Hey, Harvey. And um, I was asked to organize this in a few moments. Dave will begin. And um, it says 20 years or more, but I decided like a typical addict, not to listen. And uh, so it's 30 years or more. And, um, and at that note, Dave, will you take a... Hi, everybody. I'm Dave. I'm a recovering sexaholic from Franklin, Tennessee. And by the grace of God in this fellowship and you people, I've been sexually sober since August 1st, 1985. Um, <laughs> Something which, for which I am frequently, but never sufficiently grateful. Um, my co-leaders are Harvey, Sylvia, and Art. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, the session is recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you don't want to be recorded but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-recorded meeting. Please do not touch the recording equipment. If you want to share, come up to the front and sit next to us to use the microphone. Please leave the microphone on the table on the table and don't touch it because it makes noise on the recording. Thank you. Uh, let's begin with a moment of silence for all those still suffering or unable to attend this meeting, followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let mine be done. Amen. So we'll, we'll share for a couple of minutes, and then we'll have uh, some time for sharing at the end. Um, Harvey asked me to share with you that uh, we have over 120 years um, sitting here, and uh, which um, seems impossible to me, but... Uh, because I'm pretty young. I'm the youngest one up here, by the way. Uh, so on that note, I'm going to pass it over to Sylvia and let her uh, start. My name is Sylvia, and I am from Oklahoma City, and my sobriety date is May 10th, 1983. And for that, I'm never sufficiently grateful. Hi, Sylvia. Sylvia. Um, this is an honor to get to share on the board with these guys. Uh, they've been my walking comrades for 35 years, 34 years, and 33. <laughs> so it's, it's a great honor to be here. And I just cannot get over the miracle of this wonderful program with all of these people here. It's miraculous, just miraculous. Thanks. Let you Thanks, Sylvia. Thanks, Sylvia. Are we going to do these? Yeah. Okay. Hello. 
I'm going to stand up uh, because I want to see all these beautiful faces and I'd like to be able to see me. Uh, my name is Art and I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date is the same as David's, August 1st, 1985. Uh, and the question that, that came to me this morning was, why am I sober today? And the, the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, the more complete answer is that God has kept me sober. Uh, and the third answer, it, it takes a little more time to talk about. Uh, before I got sober, can you hear back there? Before I got sober... It came to me in, in, in all the years that I was trying to stop masturbating, that I was trying to stop obsessively <laughs> fantasizing about sex, about deviant sex. It, it came to me that, uh, that the drunk was not masturbating. The drunk was the sexual fantasy. That's what made me insane. Uh, by the time I had masturbated, I was already insane for 20 minutes. Uh, and I say 20 minutes, I could be 20 minutes into a fantasy before I knew I was in a fantasy. Uh, I could be talking to people. Certainly I could be driving. Uh, times I fantasized myself to the point driving where I had to pull off the highway and find a place to masturbate. Uh, and what came to me was that my first drink was sexual fantasy. Uh, now, therefore, for more than a decade, I tried to stop masturbating and I, I tried to, to, uh, to quit fantasizing. And how did I try to quit fantasizing? I tried to control it. Try, I, I exerted my willpower. And you know how successful that was. So, uh, when I got sober, it was the end of July, uh, 1985, uh, for the first time I had been directed to a group of people who called themselves sex addicts, and I never knew I was a sex addict until somebody told me. They called themselves sex addicts and worked the steps, and, uh, this group, everybody chose their own sobriety. <clears throat> so I was struggling and praying, what is my, what is sobriety for me? And I knew the answer, which sobriety for me was surrendering the sexual fantasies as they come. And, uh, I knew that was impossible. I'd been trying to do it for more than a decade. Uh, but I picked up a white chip at that meeting. It was a Wednesday night meeting in Atlanta, Georgia which, by the way, was a 200-mile round trip from, from my place, but I made it every, every Wednesday in the, uh, the summer of 1985. But I picked up a white chip, and I said, I'm going to try to surrender the sexual fantasies until next Wednesday. And when I did that, I fully expected to fail. And I embraced failure, and instead, uh, I was able to surrender fantasy for that week. 
Uh, and my perception is that God let me see them coming. That's, that's the best way I can put it. God let me see them coming so that I had a choice each time. Before, I would be in fantasy. I was in fantasy all the time, so I, I didn't know when I was in or when I was out. Uh, now, God let me see them coming. <clears throat> and so I didn't adopt the essay sobriety definition in late July 1985. Uh, I had my own definition, and I, I, I never said I wouldn't masturbate. Uh, I just focused on the fantasy. <clears throat> Before long, with freedom from fantasy, uh, I, the compulsion to masturbate left me. Uh, so that's the key for me. Now, uh, I'm not going to talk uh, any longer. Just I, I will say that today, the two things that are most important keeping me sober are gratitude and phone calls. Gratitude and phone calls. Thank you. I'm David, a recovering sexaholic. And um, um, I came in on a Wednesday night, too. Um, and I, too, um, until I saw uh, Phil Donahue's show in February 1984, didn't know I was a sex addict either. Uh, but I d- identified immediately. And uh, um, it took me a year and a half to get here. Um, you know, my, my ex had to move out. Um, that, that brought, uh, that was a significant emotional event for me. And, uh, but over that course of probably two years, a couple things happened before I came in. It, it was the beginning of the spiritual awakening for me. And the, and the first one was, um, this doesn't work. Um, you know, regardless of what I did, um, what it, however I tried to heighten the fantasy, um, I was never satisfied afterwards. And so that, that, that was, that was a pretty important awareness for me. Um, the second thing was, uh, one of my friends had a very white light, emotional, um, conversion experience. And, uh, and, and he was different. He was changed. And, uh, that got my attention too, because, uh, you know, I had what I thought at the time would make me happy. I had a great job. I had a beautiful wife. Um, I had a beautiful house. I had two cars in the garage. Um, I thought that's what would make me happy. And yet I knew deep down inside something was missing. And, um, so when I found out that I was an addict, it, it clicked immediately. You know, I'm, um, and then I, then I started feeling guilty about what I was doing in my head. And I was married and I sexualized and objectified every woman that I saw. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the next key was, okay, I'll just try to stop. And, uh, and of course I couldn't. And, uh, so, uh, you, you line all those up, um, Something's missing. Uh, this doesn't work, and I can't stop. And uh, now what do I do? And uh, fortunately, 
um, a counselor. Fortunately, one of us went to a counselor and gave him a pamphlet. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't to find that out for another two years. And we happened to be talking to a guy in my group and found out he was the one that gave my counselor that pamphlet. But he, uh, I said, I think I've got a problem with sex. Uh, we, I was getting crisis counseling for the breakup of my marriage. And uh, he wrote something on a piece of paper and slid it across the table, and it said, uh, S.A., uh, P.O. Box 300, Simi Valley, California. And he said, I try these guys. They, they might be able to help you. And I, I didn't know what S.A. stood for. I'm not sure that I would have written a letter had I, uh, <laughs> had I known. But I did, and uh, they sent me that pamphlet, and uh, I read the problem, and I read the solution, and I knew I was home. And uh, uh, like Art said, you know, the, you know what, I rec- what I identified with immediately was, I, even though I couldn't put the name lust to it, I, I knew that the, the minute the thought popped into my head, it, I had to let it go. And, uh, and, and so initially prayer was my go-to. This was 1985, so we, we didn't have cell phones then. Um, there are, there were three guys at that other meeting and, uh, the leader had five months of sobriety and I about fell off my chair. I had a week going to my first meeting and that was only because I white knuckled it because I didn't think I should go to a meeting unless I was somewhat sober. Um, but like Art, described, um, it was lifted for me that, you know, the thing that I could not stop doing was lifted from me. And it was because these three guys were calling me. Um, I, the phone was too heavy for me to pick up, but, (laughs) but I was, I was the single guy and all these guys were married and they called me and, uh, they kept me sober. Um, what I, what I didn't realize was that, uh, um, in, in addition to being powerless, I was hopeless. I had no hope. And uh, this program has given me hope. Um, after 11 years of sobriety, I, um, I remarried. And uh, my oldest child just graduated from high school. Um, I'm grieving that. It happened way too quick. <laughs> way too quick. And... Uh, um, I've got another beautiful boy that's going to graduate next year. So um, without that, without you, I would not be here today. Um, Praise God. Thank you. Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Been uh, sexually sober uh, 34 years and three months or something like that. But who's counting? Yeah, but who's counting? Um, uh, I still say my sobriety date at each meeting we go around. Uh, sometimes I don't want to because um, it intimidates people. Um, it makes things seem impossible for people when they're struggling for one day. Uh, it also... Um, uh, puts me in a transference place, you know, like I'm different. Uh, but I do it anyway. This people need to know this is possible. Because if it worked for me, my sponsor said, 
Harvey, if it worked for you, it could work for a dog. (laughs) By the way, I did everything dogs did. Do. Uh, I'm here with my family. I've been closer to these people than other than my wife to anyone. They're much closer and intimate with me uh, than my own children or siblings. Uh, I've sponsored these two (laughs) for about 30 years. Yes. and they still talk to me. <laughs> and um, some years ago, uh, Dave and I did an impossible thing, and it's worked. We co-sponsor each other. And I will call him and say, um, I need my sponsor now. <laughs> and I play the sponsee. And other times it's in reverse. And it's not confusing. I don't know how this crap works. <laughs> it's all mystical anyway. But you're going to hear something that no matter how often I say it, and I say it to people all over the world who call, because I, if you ask people with the oldest amount of sobriety, They will not be talking about sexually acting out. They will be talking about sexual fantasies and lust, meaning that is the key. You'd think it was a no-brainer. It says, it doesn't say powerless over masturbation. It doesn't say powerless over pornography. It says powerless over lust. The fellowship has a tough time getting it. It tends to take on, without knowing it, the other S-fellowship concepts of acting out. There's a lot of those say about acting out. Ours does not mention acting out. Because the first drink is in my head. And as Jess would say, however, the first drink is the first thought. The first thought is on God. That's how he made me. That's my essence. I'm going to sexualize an orchid plant. (laughs) Yeah, you've heard me say this over and over. It's a program of repetition. I'll be walking down the street and a guy and a gal are holding hands and I'll say to my wife, isn't it amazing everyone has sex and going home for sex? She said, what are you talking about? Is that all you think about? And I say, yes. <laughs> That's my default first thought. When I say thought, recognition doesn't last a millisecond. 
this. I know there it is. Thank you, God, for reminding me I'm still sick. The joy response. Not this fellowship. It's like, well, I never wrote that. It's the shame response of this fellowship. Oh, my God, I noticed the woman's breast. And then right into the fantasy. Instead of saying, thank you, God, for reminding me I'm still sick and letting it pass through. And Art has a wonderful word for it, a fantasy start. They're not fantasies. It's just the first frame of the movie picture. It's up to me to stop it at the first frame and not with uh, ego or with, I'm going to do it, you know, with the tools of the fellowship. And our essay book is loaded with that 18 wheeler. Some of those tools are good for me, some I can't stand. And I wouldn't use them if they were the last ones in the given to me. But the others, wow, they fit me. This program, you need to find what fits you. There's a wide selection in our fellowship of art has his style, Sylvia her style, Dave his style, me my style, but we have a basic common denominator that we know we're powerless over lust. So that's the message hopefully you'll get from old timers. And... Um, one, one more round, or and then we'll ask some questions. Or. Sure. Okay. Sylvia? Since they're all standing, I will too. <laughs> Although I'm much lazier than they are. Um, I'm older, that's the reason. <laughs> uh, my name's Sylvia again, and are still. And I'm grateful to be here. And one of the things is I, I'm, I'm getting old, and as a result, I cry every time I talk. <laughs> I used to be around old people, and they'd cry, and I'd say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. And <laughs> uh, But I keep coming back because without this, my life was miserable. I was trying to not have affairs, and I'd say, I'm not going to do this anymore, and the phone would ring, and I'd be gone. And that's the fantasy was struck right there with the telephone, and immediately I was gone. And uh, when I uh, first came into this program, it wasn't very popular. Uh, As a matter of fact, it was so brand new that anytime I said I was a sex addict or sexaholic, they'd say, oh, you're codependent. Yeah, well, I am codependent. That's, that's <laughs> not false. But uh, I, my addiction went further than codependency because not everybody who's codependent acts the way that I did. 
and I'm grateful that they didn't because I certainly um, do not want to um, do what I've done in the past. I I had uh, pre-education on addiction as a result of my child. I had a daughter who was uh, chemically dependent, and we went to education for that. And when I saw the education series, they talked about... Um, the, ooh, I'm sorry. They talked about the cycle of the uh, uh, of addiction, and and they were talking about alcoholism. But I related to everything that they said in terms of me and men. It, it, it just, I said, that's me, that's me, and I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop, and I couldn't stop. I'd pray and beg and scream and and and. The phone would ring, and I'd be gone. So I had that amount of education going, and then um, we uh, were in uh, treatment programs and aftercare, and uh, Jess came to Oklahoma City, and uh, he stood up in an AA meeting, and he said, I'm a sex addict, and I'm looking for somebody to have a meeting with. And I thought, oh, that's me. As soon as he said that, I said, that's me. But I didn't go talk to him. The next time I heard him was in aftercare, and he, they, my uh, treatment program had asked him to come and speak to our aftercare group. And I was there, and uh, he talked about the addiction. And I said, that's me. So this time I did go talk to him. And he took me, uh, told me that there was, um, he was going to have a meeting. Seems to me like mine was on Tuesday night, but I wouldn't swear to it. <laughs> anyway, I, I went to the meeting. I had talked about this to my OA friends because I was in OA at that time. And uh, I had talked to this about this. So there were about 10 women who said they'd go with me. Well, we were to meet at the restaurant. They didn't show up, <laughs> so I went ahead and went. It was in man's. It was in Jess's apartment, and my immediate thought was, "Oh, I, there's three men here, and me." Now, fantasy land immediately, you know. So, but I stuck stuck around, and I I noticed that two of the men were in recovery. I mean, I could tell a big difference in. And, and the person who was talking the addiction and the persons who were talking about trying to get well. And so uh, that, that calmed me down. So then um, they, um, the women showed up late. They did several of them come, and they were active in the group for about six months until Jess left. And Jess was there for her son's family week, and so when his son finished family week, they left. And he did too. There was one guy who stayed. His name was Dan, and he was, he, uh, he and I related because uh, my fantasy was always that I would get on a white horse and ride off with Roy Rogers. And he said his fantasy was the same. <laughs> So we got along real well. We, 
kind of sponsored each other, and uh, uh, he stuck around for several years until his wife got mad about it and decided that he wasn't going to go anymore, so he quit coming. And uh, he called us one time after that and said that he was going to come back, that he had to come back, and his counselor told him to come back, but I guess his wife didn't let him because he never showed back up. So I don't know what's happened to him, and I feel real sad because he was in a dangerous area. And um, this, the... um, my daughter got uh, into recovery, and my husband got into recovery, and so I started working recovery with SA. I'd been trying to do it through OA and Al-Anon, but SA was the answer for me, definitely the answer. And I started working the program. My husband didn't like it. He was mad because I wasn't an alcoholic instead of a sex addict. I mean, after all, Sexual addiction is not decent, but an alcoholic, you know, that's okay. (laughs) So he now has 36 years of uh, sobriety in AA, and um, he comes with me to these, and he he actually now claims to be an SNN. Now, is that a surprise? This program has changed him that much. And you know what it is? It's watching you grow and change that has changed his opinion. Because he has seen the change in all of you coming back and coming back and coming back and and getting better and bigger. My gosh, when I went to my first convention six months sober, um, there were 19 of us. And uh, there's only, uh, actually, I think I'm the only one left in the group, out of that group. However, Harvey came as a result of one of them that was in that group, so he carried the message. And the message had been carried, and Jess carried the message. Jess carried it all over the world. And um, that, I think that's what got it started growing so much was that, uh, he he was a good message carrier, <laughs> and uh, anyway, I'm sober today, and these guys are sober, and I met them through program, and they've been walking with me ever since, and I'm glad because Dan left me. I'm not glad that Dan left me. I'm glad that they walked with me <laughs> because I didn't have him any longer, and. Uh, I appreciate getting to share with you. I like to talk about the history because the history is so miraculous. Just watching you is, is, is a miracle, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Art Sexaholic. Sylvia mentioned the the man whose wife didn't want him to come anymore. Uh, and I'd just like to, I talked a little about sobriety. I'd like to talk a little about recovery, the, the rewards of recovery. Uh, I'm in a marriage with a woman much younger than I, and we never should have married. 
Uh, and the reason I married her, I don't know why she married me, but the reason I married her uh, was that I was uh, a crazy sex addict. I was not sober when I got married. Uh, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> uh, because the marriage was really rough. And uh, after I got sober, the marriage was really rough. In some ways, it was rougher. Uh, I've seen guys who come in and get sober, and they say right away their head's clear, and they start to see things, and, and they calm down. Not me. Uh, I, I was overcome with rage that I wasn't even aware of when, uh, when I was acting out. So, uh, so the marriage was rough, and we're still married today, uh, and we've been married 35 years, and it's a, it's a wonderful marriage. Now, she works an Essanon program. Uh, she, she works the steps. She's been working lately. She's been using my 12 and 12 to work her 12 traditions. Uh, and she, she has people she talks to on the phone. Uh, so it's not magic that the marriage is good. <clears throat> it's the program. My program and her program. God working through the programs that has made the marriage good. I have four children, two by each marriage. Uh, uh, I had a boy and a girl in the first marriage and a boy and a girl in the second marriage. Uh, I'm at least symmetrical. Uh, and they're all adults, and they, they act like siblings. They don't act like half-siblings to each other. Uh, my two daughters are from the two marriages, and uh, they are really like sisters, uh, even though there's a pretty wide age range between them. Uh, we have a family reunion every other year, and, and I don't organize it. Uh, the kids organize it. Uh, so uh, I am reaping some of the rewards of recovery, and uh, that's got to be part of my message, too. Thank you. I'm, I'm still Dave. Nothing's changed. Um, uh you know, I, what I wanted to share is that uh, when I started in Rochester, New York in, in 1985 at a mental institution, which seemed to be an appropriate place to hold an essay meeting, um, we, we had to run the gauntlet every night uh, of all the uh, um, patients there. And uh, they were all in these white gowns. And it was exactly what you would expect to see. And uh, um, one meeting a week. And, uh, I was, I was in Rochester for probably another, I started in August, left in January to go to Detroit. And, and, uh, when I got there, there, uh, there wasn't an SA fellowship in Detroit. Uh, it was another S fellowship and I attended that for about a year and, and, uh, it was crazy, but, uh, somehow, some way I stayed sober and, uh, um, I went to a, a marathon in Chicago in, uh, September 86, and uh, Roy was there. Uh, turned out it was Roy that sent me that first pamphlet. Um, I'm not sure if I still have that or not. Somebody asked me, did, did I keep all that stuff? I still have my original white book that was 8.5 by 11, and it had a brown cover back then, <laughs> which seemed appropriate. Um, but I, I, I went to a, 
to a, a marathon in uh, Chicago and, and Roy was there and, uh, he encouraged me to come to the, co- the international conference in St. Louis in November. And, uh, I, I, I went back from that meeting convicted that I needed to start an SA meeting. And, uh, um, so I went to the people that were organizing, uh, or that allowed us to have the other S fellowship and said, um, you know, I figured it out. I, I, we need to have a meeting on Tuesday nights. And I want to know if your, if your facility is available on Tuesday nights. And she said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, we do group therapy. Uh, really the only time we have available is, is Sunday. And, uh, you know, at the time I was going to church twice on Sunday and that, that wasn't going to work for me. I said, okay, well, I tried. I tried. So I, a couple months later, back then we held the international conferences in November and, some other time. I'm not, I'm not sure why. And, uh, so I came to St. Louis in 1986 and, um, um, there were three people there from Nashville. I knew by then that I was going to be moving to Nashville, uh, from Detroit to Nashville. And, uh, I met this guy. Um, I met, uh, who is, and I'll, I'll remember this as long as I live. He was excited um, that I was sober and coming to Nashville, and uh, and it, it 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 just surprised me. It just uh, nobody's ever reacted to me that way. And um, I met another friend named Judson, and uh, who lived in Nashville, and an, an, another lady named Jean, who was you know a rock in in Nashville for a number of years. And I'm sitting in a meeting at a conference. Why do you guys come to conferences? You know, I'm sitting in a meeting at a conference. And I can't remember what the topic was. I can't remember what the speaker was saying. But uh, two times in my life, I feel like I've heard the voice of God in my head. And, and the voice of God said, I want the meeting on Sunday. <laughs> I went, I went back to Detroit and I went back to that counseling place and I said, uh, is, is, is the space still available on Sunday? And, and they said, yeah. And I said, okay, I, I'd like to start an SA meeting. It turns out uh, the name of this place was called, uh, CAPS, Children of Alcoholics Parents. Um, guess what? I was one and, uh, I, the, and I, I described, gave them a pamphlet, said, this is what we're going to do. Uh, they said, would you mind if we referred people to you? <laughs> I said, sure. Um, I let it be known at the other S fellowship that I was starting this meeting. And uh, I wasn't even able to attend the first meeting, but one of the guys from that other fellowship chaired that meeting. And uh, at the next meeting, we had 12 people. 12 people on a Sunday afternoon in suburban Detroit, Michigan. Um, so you know, what I've learned, you know, I moved to Nashville. There were two meetings in 1988 when I moved to Nashville. Thursday, Thursday evening, Saturday afternoon. Um, I, I don't know how many there are now. I, I live 20 miles south of Nashville. 49. 49 meetings. Okay. 
we we started we finally started meeting in in our county and and I know the church that that uh, we first started meeting in 1990. Uh, that church now has seven meetings a week. So, um, you know, how do I how how have I stayed sober? Uh, you know, this this our traveling evangelist here. Okay, every time he goes someplace, people call me from there. Um, <laughs> Ireland, Australia, Germany. Uh, call David. He, you know, he, he'll help you. Uh, but, but what I'll tell you is that um, the, the way I stayed sober is, um, you know, I started meetings because I had to. Um, I got involved with service work uh, because, once again, he arranged to have central office move from Simi Valley, California, to Nashville, Tennessee. And guess who was the chairman of the? Uh, of the committee. So, uh, I got volunteered for that job. And, uh, um, and so I've stayed involved with, uh, central office. I've signed checks. I've, you know, uh, I've been the finance committee. I've been on the, uh, central office committee. We started an intergroup, um, in Williamson County in, in Tennessee. And, uh, um, so if I could do anything to you folks, get involved in your meetings, chair your meetings, be the literature chairman, um, serve as intergroup uh, chairman. Um, people still don't want to step up. They still don't. You know, we we're self centered to the nth degree. And uh, um, I would encourage you to go back. And it, it worked for me. It's kept me sober. And so, God bless. Thanks. I might be short, but my ego is big. And so I want to make a disclaimer. I just learned it today, too. It was David M. who got, he's back there, got Nashville. He's the guilty party. He's the guy who got central (laughs) office to Nashville. David was in Nashville in the early years, too. Just one minute. I want to get a permission if I could tell the story how I had to kick his ass about uh, <laughs> getting married. I've walked through many, many people in recovery, helping them realize that this program is not a monastic order. <laughs> and that ultimately most people can get married if they're single. And so we walked through this with the process we do in Nashville, and David did it fine, and finally he met this woman. After quite a few, and he said, I found her. I found her. And I said, great. And then he said, but there is one problem. David from, was from a fundamentalist Christian background. The present religion at that time. And I said, what's the problem? And he said, my group do not believe in female ministers. And my wife is a female minister. So I can't marry her. And I said, David, I know I'm Jewish and it might confuse me. So let's go through this. Do you accept Jesus as your personal Savior? (laughs) 
And he said, yes. And I said, does she accept Jesus as her personal savior? And he said, yes. And I said, what the hell's the problem? (laughs) Be careful. We attract fundamentalists to this program. (laughs) You go to AA meetings, you hardly see a fundamentalist. (laughs) But an essay, wow. This is a spiritual program, not a religious program. You could have religion and spirituality. You could have religion without any spirituality. You could have spirituality with religion and spirituality without religion. But don't confuse this program. This is a spiritual program. So Dave had to hear God speaking about Sunday meetings. And I'm going to end again with a story of God tried everything to sober up addicts. Everything. And he first tried ministers and rabbis. That didn't work. Sure, he used imams too. That didn't work. And then he tried social workers. That didn't work. Then he tried doctors. That didn't Then he tried psychology. That didn't work. He finally was about ready to give up. And he said, I'm going to try one more thing to have one addict help another addict. And that's what worked. That's what worked. And my sponsor, who was religious in his religion, would say to people, don't get too good before you get too well. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to take the last few moments to say we have someone else in this room who has 30 years or more recovered. Helmut, could you speak for a few moments? He's from Germany, just met him today. Of all the tables I sit down with... Yes, I'm Helmut. I'm uh, coming from Bochum uh, uh, in Germany, and I'm a member of SA since August um, '85 and staying sober since uh, 13th of December in '87. So, and I'm very glad to be here and. Um, when when I thought um, what what kept me sober, I think all things are already said from my fellow uh, on the left side here. But um, when I today I ask uh, from new uh, fellows if I may become a sponsor, then it's uh, today for me very important since this is a part of my story uh, that I ask already. Uh, always, how you are uh, dealing with your parents. Um, it was very important to me 
since my father, he was a uh, practicing alcoholics till he died with 70. And uh, when I was a, a little child, I was hit by him. I can remember it started when I was three and it was ending when I was 14 or something like that. And I was uh, sexually abused uh, by an older boy in, in our house. He doesn't belong to my family. Um, and I have had nobody who I could go with my pain. Um, and um, when I um, was in the clinic um, in, in the end of 84 for f three months, I discovered my um, sexual abusage and I discovered my anger about my father who was already five years dead. Um, and uh, this gave me or gave me uh, a time of 10 years with severe back, um, uh, back pain. Yeah? I was angry about my father. And I was also angry about my mother, uh, who was, uh, she was still living at that time. And um, since she also couldn't help me, yeah? when, when I told her something, uh, he was telling it further to my father and I was hit. So I, I, I was quiet. Yeah? But then after 10 years of back pain, I discovered sometimes when I took a course, um, uh, I, I did some exercise in, in, um, in seminars uh, with some physicians, and I was asked by um, uh, a former physician of Walter Lechler, um, um, Ingo Gerstenberg, he was running a Keschel Institute in, in, in Germany. Um, what I should do, um, yeah, yeah, before whom I should bend my back. Yeah? And it was clear to me I have to do it with my father. And I discovered yeah, that in the Ten Commandments, yeah, you will find a sentence I, I have pushed it to my phone, um, that's uh, either the fourth or fifth commandment. It depends on um, which Bible you are reading. Mm. Um, I, I, will, I will talk about this. Uh, take a minute. Yeah. Honor your father and mother. This may go well with you, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And I discovered without... Um, Forgive my parents for what they did with me. Yeah? I can't live yeah, in freedom. That, that was really a discovery for me. And that's why when I start uh, a sponsorship nowadays, yeah, I always ask first yeah, how you handle your parents. Yeah? And it's very, very important yeah, to start the program yeah, to to have a good relation to your parents. It does not mean yeah, you, have to, uh, you have to love your parents. Huh? Yeah? Yeah? You have to respect your parents huh? and, um, and try to get a good um, relation to them. Thank you for your... Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We are past <laughs> Guess what? We've run it. Well, we, we gave you a lot of time to share. Um, <laughs> um, 
thank you all for being here. Uh, let's uh, stand and close with the uh, third step prayer. By the way, David did marry that woman. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just tell you real quick. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh